All right. Well, thank you for um, coming to the only option today for uh, Sunday School. And we look forward to um, uh, just some really in, intriguing things in, in the book of Ruth. Doesn't it seem like, Papa, that uh, the providence of God's not just in Romans 8 anymore? Seems like it's a little sure bit moves all around. It is. We've been talking about it for a year, and I, I guess I, someone just told me today, I said, well, this again in Ruth, and we have providence, and they said it might be a theme of the whole Bible, and I'm saying, that yeah, that's probably pretty That's pretty why correct. Piper wrote that big book. That is why Piper wrote that big book. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to write quite that big a one without, without that being the case. Thrilling, though. Absolutely thrilling how we see this throughout Scripture, and uh, and clearly impacting on our life or ought to be. So, um, Papa, how about you pray? Jared, if you'd read Ruth 2, we'll get to work. You want me to pray first? Please. Yeah, okay. Let us pray. Oh, God, um, at this critical time in, in Israel's history where, you know, everyone was just doing what was right in his own eyes, uh, you interject this love story uh, about Ruth to encourage us and, and, and give us hope and in the midst of suffering and even death in this family as a promise to ultimately be our older brother, our kinsman redeemer and hide us in the shadow of your wings in the almighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, this is Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall found favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels, and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. 
So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her, daughter-in-law. May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, Our daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Good deal. Jared, from last week, what do you think we, what were some key points for the covenant theologians uh, that have joined us today? Yeah, so the big theme of last week was you have this famine in the land and um, Ruth, or Naomi and her husband go sojourn in Moab and she goes with her two sons and the two sons marry Ruth and Naomi and then all the men of the story immediately die. So now they have just three women in the land of Moab, and they hear that there's grain in Israel, so they go back. Or Naomi says, I'm going to go back to Israel. And she gives um, Ruth and Naomi the choice. And she tells both of them, you could either stay here in the land of Moab, or you can come back to, with me to the land of Israel. So we talked a little bit how this was kind of like um, the choice of discipleship and how you have to... Um, count the costs and judge whether or not you're actually able to make this journey and do walk this path as an Israelite. For Orpah, this was too hard. She could not leave the land of Moab. But for Ruth, Ruth was actually able to make the choice to go back with Naomi to the land of Israel. So we talked a lot about what it means to leave your comfortable life that you're living in behind and then seek out um, this new life where you follow God in the land of Israel. Could you read that verse 16 again? That's just classic. Verse 16. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. That is just a classic Bible memory verse and, and one that uh, uh, just stands out almost in all of Scripture. Yeah, and some of the commentators, many of them said that's conversion, Ruth's conversion right there. And, and I guess I wouldn't have thought of that. And another thing I didn't know till two weeks ago when I should have studied Ruth 50 years ago was the idea that these guys, all the family, Naomi's family, um, heading off to Moab was probably a sinful thing. They should have stayed and trusted God in Israel. Papa, is that your take? Well, uh, since Bethlehem's known as the, the house of bread and, uh, you know, the Israelites were supposed to stay together under the wings of the Almighty God. And uh, when they, I mean, life has its ups and downs and twists and you can't go run off to the next mm -hmm. county necessarily you know, when those things happen. Yes. And because of the famine, that's what they did and, and uh, probably probably shouldn't have, but certainly like we always see, 
God in his providence is, uh, is going to make things work out. But yeah, that's right. So in spite of this decision, whether it's a bad one or a good one, uh, God did redeem the decision. And, mm -hmm. and that's what's unfolding now in chapter two. So yes. It's pretty remarkable. No, it is remarkable. This is what Matthew Henry says about chapter two. There is scarcely any chapter in all of sacred history that stoops so low as this, to take cognizance of the me uh, so mean a person as Ruth, a poor Moabitish widow, so mean as action as her gleaning corn in a neighbor's field and the minute circumstances thereof. When I read that, that didn't mean anything to me because I don't, can't understand Matthew Henry. But what I think he's trying to say, the 42% of it that I got, is that Ruth is super poor and you would think there's not anything for, like she comes with such a humility and she's so poor. And for Boaz to take note of her, like we're going to see, in this chapter is an amazing thing. Absolutely. But you're jumping ahead. Uh-oh. Yeah, I can't do that. I was just <laughs> summarizing the whole chapter but you know, from you, Matthew. As far as dueling quotes, Spurgeon had a good one. God is very good to those who trust in him. And that goes back to your question, should they have left or not left? Uh, God wants us to trust him. And he does test us in that trusting too. Yep. Uh, and often surprises us with unlooked for blessings. Little do we know what may happen to us tomorrow, but this sweet fact may cheer us that no good thing will be withheld from us. I love Charles it. Charles Spurgeon. Oh, good, good stuff, and certainly we're, we're going to see that throughout. So no, Naomi um, has this relative of her husband, the worthy man Boaz, and uh, and he is going to come into play uh, right here in chapter two. So Ruth, the Moabite, says to Naomi, "Let me go to the field, glean among the ears of grain, among um, after him, in whose sight I shall find favor." And she said to her, "Go, my daughter." So she set out and went to glean in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And so what well, was great, my favorite part, all three of those verses turned out to be, um, and I love this, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the week, and she happened to come, right? So it sounds like it's just happened to be like that, but we went no way better than that. And that was what we saw throughout the book of Esther. We just saw, so happened. Just so happened, just so happened, just so happened, because God is providentially doing all of this. And so nothing just so happens. I love that. It does in our minds. It just so happened that we um, turned right instead of left. It just so happened that uh, we had this encounter with somebody um, in the classroom. It just so happened that... Um, we ran out of gas. It just so happened. But nothing just so happens. And, uh, and that is a thrilling thing. And boy, do we see that clearly here. Jared, Ruth makes quite an initiative here. Can you tell us um, your, th your thoughts there early on? Because she just doesn't sit around and uh, wait for something to happen. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I think 
Esther taught us through and through that there is no such thing as a coincidence. And I think Ruth 2 establishes out the gate with the just so happened verse that God is actually the one behind this. But what really stands out to me is that Ruth doesn't just sit around as she returns to Israel. The beginning of the chapter, she's already making moves to go glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall found favor. So God's sovereignty does not negate her responsibility and her action in this story. I think that's a big qualm people have with Reformed theology as you say, well, if God's sovereign, then we don't have to do anything. But I think this story teaches us through and through that God is working through us to do his will. And I wanted to read uh, a parallel passage in John 4 in verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, um, referring to Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. So first of all, it's kind of cool that Jesus draws on this sort of harvesting um, language to construct his parables. And we see the actual foundation of that here that he draws from. But I think this passage also teaches us that it was Christ's food to do the will of God. Like there was a certain joy that Christ found in doing God's will. And I think Ruth shows the exact same thing here, where out of joy, out of obedience, out of faithfulness, she is doing the will of God. So God's sovereignty does not negate our responsibility. No, that's that's really good, Pop. I want to hear your your thoughts on that. You know, we hear sometimes, and I think it's nonsense, that God helps those who help themselves, meaning it's kind of all based on us. If we don't do what we're supposed to, then God might not help us. And that's that's really backwards. God's going to accomplish his purpose. No, um, His plan's never going to be thwarted, Job's 42 says. But that never negates man's responsibility. And uh, and that um, gives us plenty to do. Papa? Um, I go back to verse 22, uh, 122. It should give us some insight into uh, um, Ruth's actions here. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the time of barley harvest. Piper just, I listened to a message about him, and he said, barley harvest is food. So the rumors they heard in the fields of Moab were true. The time of barley harvest was Passover, and there was food to be had. Now, you you come from an agrarian society. I need to pick your brain a little bit, but uh, and I, I need to learn what of, agrarian means. <laughs> I, I know a lot about what goes on in farming com- communities, not personally, but through some relatives. And boy, when there's a harvest, I mean, you engage the whole community, and and it seems like the the Jews, whether it be all their feast or most of their early, especially the the early feasts were harvest. There's uh, Pentecost. There's uh, um, Passover. That's the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. So they get back at the time of the barley harvest. They're hungry probably. They don't have any money, I, I would assume. And uh, 
And Ruth, in chapter, uh, verse 2, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall gain favor. So she takes, like you said, she takes the initiative. But the Mosaic law, I wanted to uh, highlight this, commanded that the harvest should not be reaped to the corners or to the and the gleanings picked up. That's from Leviticus 19, yeah. 19 through 10. Gleanings were stalks of grain left after the first cutting. These were dedicated to uh, neat to the needy, especially widows, orphans, and uh, Leviticus says strangers, but also sojourners. Hmm. And she would have been a sojourner. She would have been a stranger, but she was uh, legitimized by the fact that she was a sojourner. And we're sojourners. And so Ruth the Moabite takes the initiative to go to the field and glean the leftover barley. So wow, they're going to eat. Yeah, no, and and uh, and she comes um, home with a pretty good batch that we're going to get later. Um, and behold, Boaz, verse 4, came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And, and they answered, the Lord bless you. It was interesting. Some of the uh, uh, pastors and commentators kind of took note of that and said, even in the greeting, it was kind of a, you can tell that this was a, a godly place to be um, in the way they greeted each other. Jared, do you have any thoughts on just verse 4? I kind of went over that until um, listening to some guys on that a little bit. And, and, uh, and I liked it. It was challenging to say, how are we greeting each other? You know, and there was a, there was a godliness to that. And not that we have to mention the Lord when we're greeting people, but that they should know about us that there's, that there's something different um, in the way we greet and the way we respond to that. Anything there, Jared? Um, kind of going off that a little bit, I think immediately after they greet each other, they discuss, it says, Boaz said to his young man who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant answered, she's the young woman. Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So it appears that they have noticed that Ruth has been working hard all morning. It says she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So it, it kind of reminded me of 2 Timothy 5 where it says, so also good works are conspicuous and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So the people who are working alongside Ruth had taken notice of everything that she had been doing all morning. I think a lot of the New Testament writers paint this image of like, the world is a very dark place, but when you have the light of your good work shining in it, it is very noticeable. So I think her honest working all morning and her, her perseverance and her, the fact that she was working for God and not for man, people immediately took notice of that. And so I was kind of encouraged just to um, persevere in what I do and um, to not work for man, but work for the Lord. Because uh, Matthew says, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cold cup of water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. That's great. So everything that we do is noticed and Christ will re reward it one day. Wow. Well, you know, and, and you mentioned this greeting. Um, wouldn't it be nice if we greeted each other with the Lord be with you or the ironic blessing or something like that? I don't mean we have to run around and do that all the time because then it would become a ritual. Yeah, wrote, yeah. But on the other hand, it gives you a glimpse into his character, his righteousness. 
And then the fact that she, I, I don't think he asked who this woman was just to find out her name. He wanted to find out what family she was. I mean, they observed, these uh, owners of these fields observed who was working there. And, and she, if a stranger, they would have noticed mm -hmm. a stranger and she was a stranger. So yep. he simply wanted to know who she was. And, and uh, they responded, she's a young Moabite woman and came back with Naomi. So this established her character. She's, a, she's modest, she has permission to do everything. She's humble. And yet she's works hard. Yeah, absolutely. Jared, I love that you brought that up and your your um, desire to work hard in your job. Uh, someone was telling me about what a great job you do at work. And I loved hearing that. Um, Titus 2.9, bond servants are, we to be, um, are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. And then I love verse 10, not pilfering but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And to make, NIV said, make teaching, make the teaching of our Savior attractive. And um, Jared, that's what you're doing at work. I think that's what our job should be, no matter what we're doing, right? No matter if that's in something that seems more like ministry or if that's in plumbing or if that's in sewing something or whatever we happen to be Pressure doing. washing. Pressure washing, absolutely, to make the teaching of our Savior attractive in the way we go about that. So uh, Ruth is uh, definitely doing this so that these guys have even noticed that as she's going out there and she is getting, she's getting after it. Um, verse 7, she said, um, Please let me clean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she had continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest, like, like Jared had read. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Um, any thoughts on that, Jared? Um, the first thing I notice when I read this is that Boaz sees that Ruth is from Moab, and he still gives her this sort of response where he says, don't glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. I mean, you can compare that to the way that Jonah responds to his call to go preach to Nineveh. Boaz knows that Ruth is from another Gentile region that they're not in, on good terms with, I guess. And he still accepts her despite this. So I think this was kind of convicting in my own heart. It's like, am I willing to evangelize to anyone? Am I willing to do good to all regardless of whether or not that person annoys me, regardless of how I feel about these type of people? The gospel is for every tribe, every person, every nation. Um, it's to the entire world. And so I think Boaz's response here, we can learn a lot just from how we should um, treat people and not show partiality toward anyone. Well, that's good. Boaz made the most of his influence, didn't he? And his position by giving this. And, you know, we sometimes say that to our uh, um, students at school. Um, Greg, you probably do the same thing to the juniors and seniors. Like, all you have to do is smile at a sixth grader, right? That's all you, you have such a position that if you just smile at them, that's going to make their next three weeks. So, 
take advantage of that opportunity. And Boaz certainly did that, Papa. Well, Boaz, I think he also recognizes, in addition to the fact that she's from Moab, that she's um, uh, the daughter-in-law of, of Ruth. I mean, of Naomi. And, of course, he's related to Naomi through Elimelech, her, uh, her husband. And we don't know what kind of relative that was, but Elimelech was related to uh, Boaz. So that, that was a further uh, favor in, in his eyes towards her. And, you know, MacArthur speculated that Boaz was about 45, 55 years old and a contemporary of Elimelech and Naomi. He would naturally see Ruth as a daughter. Uh, Boaz contrasted himself with the younger men. And speaking of my young women, the ones who tied up the sheaves and Boaz sees to this request and offers his protection and provision. I thought it was pretty cool because some of the commentators said it was dangerous work mm. uh, wandering around those fields because there were guys, men that would prey on women, especially women that were alone and that type of thing. So he says, don't go to glean in another field in verse 8 or leave this one, but stick close to my young women. So he, there's protection, provision there. Um, and, and let your eyes be on the field in nine and go after them. Have I not charged young men not to touch you? So he, again, he's protecting mm -hmm. her in this uh, situation. So yeah, we see that awesome. warning a couple of times, don't we, in here, that there, there must have been some danger there and uh, and they're they're protective of Ruth. Well, there was a this was a bit would have been a bit. Well, tell me about your your corn harvest in Nebraska. Did you? Did well, you? I knew it was serious when Mom went from chief cook to uh, chief um, combine driver. That's when we knew. <laughs> when she started driving the combine, then it was like, of her on the oh combine. man, I wish I did. She was good at it. Dad said it was good at it. And Mom's famous story is that Dad had the same motion for everything, whether that's a deer in the field or there's a fire on the combine. And mom said that was the same motion. So I don't know that mom really enjoyed the combine as much as she enjoyed the kitchen, but uh, she was out there every time it got harvest time. So you're right, it's all hands on deck and, and that's certainly what we're seeing here. Jared, Boaz um, knew Ruth before Ruth knew Boaz. Tell us about that. Yeah, so verse 10, after Boaz has just told Ruth to stay in his field, it says, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So Boaz has gone out of his way to find all this information out about Ruth before he's even interacted with her, much to Ruth's surprise. And there is a parallel story in John 1, going back to John. Verse 47, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So I think these two stories are actually kind of similar in that both men know, Jesus knows Nathaniel before Nathaniel knows Jesus, and Boaz knows Ruth before Ruth knows Boaz. And I think this is, is kind of an act of love, and it kind of gets to the doctrine of foreknowledge a little bit. Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
So Jesus knows intimately who we are before he even calls us. And I was kind of stirred just thinking about this because I probably don't think about the doctrine of foreknowledge as much as I should, but mm. really it's the doctrine of foreknowledge should, um, it should help us trust God more as we realize that God knows us intimately. He knows our souls and he's, he's able to provide for us because he knows us so well. Um, it should also lead us to praise and worship God as we realize that he is completely sovereign over everything. And it should also lead to a level of spiritual intimacy as we know God and God has foreknown us before the foundation of the world. That should draw us near to Christ in the same way that um, Boaz knowing of Ruth so intimately should stir Ruth's affections for Boaz. That's really good, Papa. That's what I like in 12 because he sort of acknowledges that in the Lord and he says the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. I love that analogy. It comes from, from Psalms and other places in Scripture. Um, uh, scripture does pit, pit, uh, picture God as catching Israel up on his wings in Exodus 19.4 in the deliverance from the wilderness. And he's, a, he's portrayed as a, a mother bird sheltering the young and fragile with his wings. In Psalm 17.8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. So Boaz blessed Ruth in light of her newfound commitment and dependence on the Lord. And Yahweh will repay Ruth for what she has done and what she is doing and her uh, allegiance to her mother-in-law mm. and stuff. So pretty, pretty awesome exchange there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, she's a new believer, but yet, you know, he is clearly a believer, a uh, uh, mature believer, and, and, and he's encouraging her with these words. Yeah, uh, it's heartwarming what's, what goes on there. Jared, um, go on for us here and tell us how Boaz provides for Ruth. Yeah, so he, he details everything that he's going to do for her. And in verse 14, he offers her a meal. He says, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So we see that Boaz is going out of his way to make sure that Ruth is provided for. Even later on, he has to tell his young men, verse 16, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So this would have all come at a major cost to Boaz having to go out of his way to make sure that Ruth is provided for. But I think this is just the nature of love and sacrifice is that the world tries to tell you, you need to be gaining. You need to do the thing that is the most economically efficient and you need to focus on yourself and build yourself up as much as you possibly can. But this story kind of teaches and the law in Leviticus that says, the, the sojourner can glean from among your sheaves. This story should teach us that um, sometimes sacrifice is necessary and we don't always have to pursue after the most economically efficient way of life. That's the nature of sacrifice and tithing. It's giving things up to God and expecting nothing in return. And we see that in this story, God actually does reward Boaz for his provisions for Ruth in the next following chapters. I don't want to get too far ahead, but um, this this does come out to have a happy ending. Yeah. Now you're tempting people to cheat and read ahead. That what we're gonna Not see. Too far ahead. No, that's right. You don't. Um, 
someone said you don't need to be concerned uh, about all the things, like all the things that we think about our week right now and everything, like, oh, man, this is going to happen Tuesday and this is going to – don't need to be concerned about all of those things because you're being trained in the school of God's providence. And this undergirds, you see, this amazing story that we're reading here. It is as we've seen an outworking of Romans eight twenty eight, And, man, do we see that just like we saw it in Esther we see it here. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she um, beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, three-fifths of a bushel. A bushel weighs 56, well, a good bushel of corn weighs 56 pounds. That's a lot of corn. She might have had 30. 30 pounds of uh, barley. grass seed now. I'm getting older now, but I, I can throw it over my shoulder, but I just can't. It's hard to lift a 50-pound bag of, of corn. I yeah, know. that's right. So Corn's she's, heavier, you know. That's a lot of chowder right there, for sure. <laughs> and so you would say in a day, she got a lot done. Now, it's four bucks worth, right? It's 438, right? Or 638 right now. I looked it up uh, in really? our barley was, is. It went oh, down. Did y'all grow week. barley too? Nope. We just grew corn. Oh, but okay. I was checking out barley. Oh, okay. And so that's what it it went down last month. It was a dollar higher. So it's right now, if you need some barley, it's time to get it. You but know, I, I want to just go back to verse 14, talk about food. Uh, she, they had, uh, they, she shared um, uh, wine, sour wine mixed with a little oil and with bread and roasted uh, barley. And it made me hungry because mm. it's kind of what you do in Italian restaurants. You know, they put a little balsamic vinegar in the in the uh, in the olive oil, and then you dip your bread in there. And I wanted to go do that. And they... Maybe next week you got to bring snacks, Papa. <laughs> around here, that would probably can probably we, hit. The can spot. we work up some roasted barley? Yeah. <laughs> well, that anyway, would... so he was providing for not only food but provision, protection, um, and care. And love, um, uh, I was driven to Hesed. The word Hesed. Oh, I was hoping from two twenty, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, good. Tell know, us about I know I'm that. I'm jumping ahead, but we we're also running short on, on time. That that's my favorite word, other than Yahweh and the and the Bible. Uh, the steadfast love of the Lord, which never ceases, and new and faithful every morning. I read a commentator said it's it's almost hard to translate because it's oh, got it so many. Can oh, you tell us more about Hesed? Well, I wish I'd brought, I brought my commentary because I was studying it today, but it 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 it, it uh, it's just all encompassing, all caring, all loving, kind, kindness, mercy, gentleness. And so he's he's uh, actually 20 addresses not only Hesed, but also uh, the, the, beginning, the beginnings of the law of redemption. We see this. Mm. Um, uh, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, and I, I, I'm interpreting that as loving kindness, that's 240 times in Scripture. Mm. Anytime anything's used that much, it's important. Forsaking the living and the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers, kinsman redeemer. That is a beautiful, uh, the law of redemption comes 
uh, into view here, I think. And this is my little summary. According to the law, the nearest male relative had the um, duty of preserving the family name and property. This duty could entail avenging the death of a family member, buying back family property that had been sold, um, that means to pay debts, buying back a relative who had sold himself into slavery mm. uh, to pay debts, and also marrying the widow of a uh, deep uh, close relative, uh, or a close relative. Apparently these duties could be uh, uh, renounced or uh, declined under certain circumstances. We saw this in, in the story. But so we introduce, Hesed, we introduce kinsman redeemer all in this one verse. Mm -hmm. Massive implications. Right. We, have, we have a kinsman redeemer and his name is Jesus. He's on the throne right now. Isn't that great? Uh, yeah, and when we talk about redeemed, we usually think about being uh, the slave market term to be bought at a price. And that's, what's, that's exactly what we see that uh, here. And certainly, Jared, this is pointing us toward our Savior. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we see Christ did the exact same thing when he offered himself on the cross for our sins. Yeah, no doubt about it. How about to tell others about God's provision, Jared? What do you see here there? Um, yeah, I think one of the last points here, we see that the first thing that Ruth does when she returns home is she tells Naomi of everything that has happened in this crazy day that she's just gone through. So it, it reminded me of Galatians 6 where it says, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And I think just based on how Naomi reacts here, she says, his kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. We see how much of an encouragement we could be to other people when we tell them of God's faithfulness in our lives. Even when God has answered a, a simple prayer that we've been asking, or seeing how he has provided for us on a, from day to day, um, we see that we have the ability to really encourage others in this way. And there's also, there's a similar story in 1 Thessalonians where it says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and your love, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. So we see that we have the ability to truly comfort somebody else just telling them of how God has been faithful in our own lives. That's really good. Ben Witter did it this morning. If you see Ben at supper tonight or after church, don't do it during church because uh, Scott's going to be preaching, but after church, uh, let him tell you about a really just a neat answer to prayer. And you're exactly right, Jared. It was thrilling and it was convicting. I thought, oh, wow, how many times do I have not because I asked not? Right, and, and Ben was faithful to pray, and God was faithful to immediately answer, and uh, it's just a great story. Papa, what are you looking up there? Well, the, the, the last verse, on, uh, it's about a quarter till, the last verse, 23, so she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, uh, gleaning until the end of the barley, and wheat harvest notice, uh, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This sort of nicely wraps up this chapter. Uh, barley harvest came first, uh, and then uh, barley harvest usually began about mid-April, and wheat harvest extended to mid-June, a period of intense labor for about two months. Mm. So at least they would eat for or two months or, or longer because they would obviously store some of this some of this grain. And that's between Passover, which was barley, and the uh, Pentecost, the feast 
uh, uh, weeks, but it's wheat. So the barley and, and the wheat harvest there. The permission to glean and extend into the wheat harvest is also prolonging the, the contacts between uh, Boaz and, and Ruth. So we see the drama unfolding here, the scenario. Yeah, no, absolutely. So good. And uh, 22 there, Jared, can you give us some insight there? Once again, don't go to another field. Um, can you help us there that Ruth um, always stayed with Boaz in, in, in his field instead? Yeah, I don't know if I have a whole lot to add on that, but I think we definitely see that Ruth was faithful and that she did not go to another field. Verse 23 says, she gleaned with him until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. So I think, I mean, we know just in the Christian life that it is so easy to start something and not finish it. Mm. And I think this story is an example of somebody who actually stayed faithful all the way through and was ultimately rewarded with um, a marriage and a son from whom Christ ended up coming from. So we see that faithfulness and persevering to the end has its rewards in this story. We let the cat out of the bag, but we not only see David, but we see Christ in this, in this story. And so that's exciting. Now, not no just one's by good. extending into the wheat harvest. Now we don't hardly have to have Sunday school in the next couple of weeks because Jared's already spilled the beans. Don't repeat the sin that we did. That was what one of the commentators said, uh, that she may have been. I wouldn't have thought of that, but it could very well be. You know what? We flew the coop. We, there was uh, a little bit of trial. We went to Moab. We should have stayed probably, but we didn't. And, uh, and it could be that she's, uh, that Naomi's hinting at that with, with Ruth. Stay where you're at, um, doing a good job, and, and uh, don't repeat that, that same sin. Jared, could you pray uh, for us this week? Thank you for bringing out some really good um, things, I think, to put to use. And, and uh, hopefully this is in convicting and encouraging to us. There's a lot of, as there is in all Scripture, uh, it's God-breathed and useful for correction, rebuking, and training in righteousness and all these things that um, we can um, use for our week. If you'd pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we get to read through your word and pull some wisdom out, God. I pray that you would continue to teach us and guide us through this book and that you would help us see how applicable it is, even though it was written so long ago and we can see how timeless your word is, God, and how um, it always applies, and you are faithful through the whole thing. I pray that you would help us remember Christ and his sacrifice, and you would be with us this week, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.